welcome to Sundays of Grace, the podcast ministry of Robinson Grace Church in Grand Haven, Michigan. I'm Pastor Bill. I'm so glad you joined us for this edition of the podcast. Week 8 of our sermon series, A Spiritual EKG, where we're looking at this new creation heart we receive when we are saved. And this week we're going to look at that heart in regards to our giving, when we give to the Lord, when we when we give to the church. Did you know that God actually wants you to trust your heart when it comes to your giving? In fact, I gotta warn you, I'm gonna murder one of the sacred cows in the church today, so you might wanna listen in. I think you'll be intrigued by what you hear. Hey, if you would love to download handout notes to this sermon or any of the others on the podcast, you can do that at myrgc.com. There is also a button there you can a link if you would like to support the ministry of Robinson Grace Church, and we would certainly appreciate that as well. Hey, I'm going to start with a story by Gordon McDonald, uh, who took a missions trip with his wife to Africa, and he said he was transformed from the idea of institutional giving to actually finding the joy in his giving, cheerful giving. And I hope in this message, you find the joy in your giving as well. Let's get right to the message, Living with a Generous Heart. Gordon and his wife were on a missions trip to West Africa, and on the first Sunday of their visit, they joined a large crowd of desperately poor Christians for worship. As they neared the church, he noticed that almost every person was carrying something. Some hoisted cages of noisy chickens, others carried baskets of yams, and still others toted bags of eggs or bowls of cassava paste. He said he learned something about giving that day. He learned that giving, whether yams or dollars, is not optional for Christ's followers. Soon after the worship began, the moment came when everyone stood and poured into the aisles, singing, clapping, even shouting. The people began moving forward, each in turn bringing whatever he had brought to a space in the front. Then he said, I got it. And here is his quote. This was a West African offering time. The chickens would help get a tiny farm business started. The yams and the eggs given could be sold in the marketplace to help the needy. The cassava paste would guarantee that someone who was hungry could eat. I was captivated. I'd never seen a joyful offering before. Obviously, my keep money under the radar policy would not have worked in that West African church. Those African believers, although they never knew it, had moved me. I began to understand that giving, whether yams or dollars, was not an option for Christ followers. Rather, it was an indication of the direction and the tenor of one's life. I thought that was a fascinating story. And as we continue our series, a Spiritual EKG, we have a couple weeks left in this. And um, I want to talk today about this idea of a generous heart, what it means to have a generous heart. And what we're going to see today might surprise us all about our heart. I think we might be surprised again as we look at the heart. And some of the things I'm going to say today might be a little surprising. We will once again see today that we have a heart that we can trust. We have a heart that beats with God's desires. And we have a heart that is equipped to do the things God has called us to do. He has certainly given us a heart in that sense. The goal of this message is we talk about giving under grace, this idea of how we give and how we give under grace is that we would find the joy in our giving. And I can say this honestly, that early in my preaching ministry, I didn't find a lot of joy in preaching on, on giving, honestly. I always use that pastoral disclaimer. You maybe know what it is. It's like, well, you know, Jesus talked more about money than anything else, so I guess we should too, right? 
Or, you know, Jesus talked more about hell than, you know, heaven and earth combined. And so it's like we should talk about hell today. It, it, we kind of do those things when, you know, and it's like we don't have to have that attitude. We can, and we can approach this subject with great joy. And I'm excited today about this message and what I get to tell you and show you in the scriptures about giving. And, and what it looks like for us today and the difference between what it looked like uh, before today in the Old Testament and really outside of this dispensation of grace, the issue of giving. Well, we're going to do two things today. Let me give you a key verse and a big idea to start with here. Yeah, a key verse and a big idea. And uh, again, grace, it's that we would find the joy in our giving this morning, that we would really understand the joy. Like, like uh, Gordon McDonald, he's a pastor. When he went overseas, he found some joy there. Here's our key verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And we will look at that as we go through the morning. But here's the thing. You have to understand that we're going to sacrifice a sacred cow today in the, in the church and, and I might not have sacrificed this cow 10 years ago but in the last 10 years or so I have come to understand giving more and more and the reality is there's this common teaching today in the church under the law it's called the tithe and it's basically a command that we're supposed to give 10% of our income to God we're supposed to write that check to God every month first thing we write is our check to the Lord and um, we're commanded to do that I mean we have to do that and I'll tell you why in a minute why we're told we have to do that today the reality is we're going to see today that we're not under law we're under grace now let me just as a, as a, as a clarification if you're one of those people and the first check you write every month, because I know people like this, the first check they write every month is they write their check, they're giving. That's the first thing they do. If you do that, continue. that's great. Keep doing that. It just speaks to the heart that God has given us that we want to give, that we have that desire to give. My point today is to show us that this requirement, this obligation, this compulsion that we have to, absolutely, if you make $452, you got to write a check for $45.27 or 20 cents and put it in the offering on Sunday or you know, you're not going to be blessed that week. I mean, that's kind of the teaching that is out there. And so we're going to see this idea of tithing. Uh, yeah, we're not called to tithe today. We're under grace today. And the reality is we want to give. We want to give according to what it said there in that verse a moment ago, freely, cheerfully, and accordingly. Decide in your heart what you want to give. Give with a cheerful heart and give according to how you determine in your new creation heart in conjunction with the Holy Spirit that lives there you know what, you give what you feel compelled to give, what you feel led to give. Here's our big idea today. Here's what you need to know in regards to giving. God doesn't want you to give him 10% today. I'm going to show you that from the scripture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a great contrast in a minute. God does not want you to give him 10% today. He wants you to fully trust your new creation heart 100%. When it comes to giving, he wants you to trust this heart that he has given you, this new creation heart 100%. That's what he wants. Now, if you, in your heart you decide you want to give 10%, that's fine. But that's not the primary goal that God has for you in your life. So we're going to do two things. We're going to look at uh, the negative realities of giving under law and tithing. This, what are the negative realities? And then the positive realities of what it means to give under grace. And so let's start with the negative realities. and going to look at a, a very common passage that is often used to teach on this Malachi chapter 3. 6 through 12, and let's just start here. For I, the Lord, 
do not change. He's writing to the Israelite people. I, the Lord, do not change. And there are notes if you didn't get them. I was a little late getting them out today, but there are notes. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Little context here. Israel was repeatedly unfaithful to God. They repeatedly, you know, they just kind of violated the law and, you know, they were rebellious. And so God comes to them and says, hey, you know what? Uh, I don't change. I'm still pursuing you. I still love you. You will still be a great nation. If I did change, well, I'd consume you because you're that unfaithful. But I am faithful and I won't consume you. And uh, so he says, return to me. So he goes on here. Look what he says. But you say, how shall we return? How should they return to God? Well, he says this. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me and the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe. Bring the full 10%. Actually, for the Jewish people, it was probably 23%. But, okay, bring the full tithe. Uh, we'll, we'll say, we'll go with the 10% into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And so, I, just, just at the outset, there's, the, while we're going to see the folly of tithing in this verse in just a second here, there is one positive thing we can note from this passage. Here are the Israelite people. They're rebellious. They, they've turned from God. God says, return to me. And how does, what does God tell them to do to be faithful and to return to God? Well, he points at their giving, points at how they view and handle their money. Um, oh, I missed, I missed a few. Missed the end here. I will re rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. So this is the curse if you don't tithe. A and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So there's this, this issue of you get a tithe. If not, there's this curse that will devour your, you, you won't be very blessed. And the reality, though, is how does God tell them to return to Him? Well, He tells them to return to them and how they view their money. And the reality is our spiritual life in Christ should impact how we view and handle our money. Want to swap out again? <laughs> anyway, our spiritual life in Christ should impact how we view and how we handle our money, it really should. And so God calls the Jewish people back to faithfulness in how they handle their money. Just, just note, though, this passage. It's written in the Old Testament. It's, it's written, it's situated under the law, and it is aimed directly at the Jewish people, okay? So here's, here's three things just, just to note about the folly of giving under the tithe. First, giving under law versus grace is inferior giving. What does the law do? But the law, what? The law reveals our sin and the law makes us feel guilty in order to drive us to God who is perfect and holy. The law has always been inferior to grace. Now, is the law good? Does the law serve a purpose? Certainly. But the law is not for you and me. The law is for the unbeliever. The, the law is for the person who does not know Christ and when they're confronted with the law, they're like, oh, I'm a liar, I'm a cheater, I, I'm a stealer, I, I'm a whatever, fill in the blank. And the only way I can be holy and perfect is if I rely on Christ. And so giving under the law versus giving under grace has always been inferior. And we live with the weight of, the weight of guilt, obligation, and demand. Just let me give you a, 
a couple things in this text. Number one, you're not robbing God today when you don't tithe. There is not one passage, you cannot find one reference after the cross from Paul, from Peter, from James, and from John. There's not one passage in the New Testament after the cross that tells us to tithe. Not one. You can't find one. There's one reference to tithing in Hebrews, and it's not a command to tithe. So just, just note that you're not robbing God if you don't give your 10%. And number two, your money is not cursed. And I'm just telling you what I always hear. I hear these messages all the time. You're robbing God and, and your money is cursed. And in this passage, money is not cursed. The Israelites are cursed. Their ground is cursed because they have turned from God. But money is not cursed. And the reality is, yes, we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken down world. That is true. We live under the curse of sin. We live in, in bodies that face disease and death because of the curse of sin. But your money is not cursed if you don't give God an exact 10%. I'm just, that's just pure folly. That's the reality. The other thing is, nowhere in the Bible do I break the curse of sin. Christ breaks the curse of sin. This whole, knowledge, this whole idea that, well, when you give your 10%, you break the curse of sin. That's folly. Again. I don't break the curse of sin. Christ did that at the cross. He did that uh, in Him alone. He did that. The greatest way to disprove this folly though, right, is this. So here's the, the idea. Your, your money's under a curse. You need to give 10% to break that curse so you'll be blessed and, and that's the reality, right? Well, here's the thing. What about all those unbelievers in the world that are millionaires and billionaires and never tie the dime to God? Isn't their money cursed? Somehow it just does not add up here's the second thing that giving under law does giving under law minimizes our spiritual blessings in christ did you read the text in there what, what does he tell them well hey if you start giving to me test me and just see if you aren't blessed how blessed financially if your crops don't prosper and if you aren't the reality is giving under law minimizes our spiritual blessings in christ today we have been so blessed in christ and and what the tithe tends to do is focus on the material over the, over the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. You know that, that line, you can't outgive God. And that's true, you can't. God has all the money in the world. You can't outgive God. There's no way we financially can't outgive God. But we say you can't outgive God. That's because of the spiritual blessings he's poured into my life. There is no way I could ever outgive God. He has so incredibly blessed me today. And so... Giving under the law minimizes our spiritual blessings in Christ. There is no greater blessings to be had than the spiritual blessings we have in Christ that we read about like in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. So just know that. Here's a third negative reality of giving under the law or giving a tithe. Here's what it says again. Look at this, what it says again. I think it's verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So I hear this all the time too. People teach the tithe. They say, you just, just, just put God to the test. Now, in the context of Israel here, I'd say in the context of Israel, I mean, he's telling them, okay, test me and see. But reality, did Israel need to test God? He led them through the Red Sea. He, he, he led them into the promised land. He, he took down Goliath through David. Did God really need to prove anything to Israel? Well, no, he didn't. But he says, put me to the test and see if your crops don't just, just really do well if you just start giving me the tithe that I commanded under the law. Okay, you and me today, though, really? I mean, should I stand up here and tell you, you know what, you guys? Just start giving to God. Just test God and see if God isn't faithful. 
I mean, really? God sent his son to this world to die on the cross to redeem me and restore me and regenerate me and gave me a brand new heart and came and lived in me. And I've got to test and see if God is faithful today? No, I don't have to test and see if God's faithful. I know he's faithful. I know he's faithful. And I don't need to test it by the money I put in the plate. God is faithful. Now, I'll give you a caveat. While we don't test God, sometimes today God might test us. Sometimes we might have too little and God may test us and say, will they trust me? Will they panic? Will they know that I'm faithful even when things are tight? My mom and dad, my mom and dad, we grew up, we were tithers growing up. We learned how, we were taught, we were taught the standard stick. You know, you give your 10% and all the reasons why. My mom and dad tithed faithfully. When my mom and dad were like 45 and 50, they went through really financial hard times because my dad was this really nice guy that he would shake your hand and build you a house. <laughs> People took advantage of him. He went through a lot of hard... I remember, I still remember the Wednesday night we're having, we're having choir practice at our house and somebody comes and knocks on the door and there's these legal papers involved and there's all this stuff going on. They went through a fine... You know, you wouldn't know it all these years later because God's faithful. Because God is faithful. Sometimes God tests us. Sometimes God gives us like Solomon too much and he tests us and says, okay, how are they going to handle too much? Will they be generous? Will they chase after the stuff of this world. What will happen if I give them too much? And Why does God test us like that? Well, God tests us like that because, well, that's how he grows our faith. That's how he builds our faith muscle. So anyway, there's three simple realities of why giving under, uh, giving under the, to the tithe or, or the law is really just, just a, fo- a foolish thing and it's so inferior to grace. Let me, let me wrap it up in this way before we go on to the next side of this message. So let's say God comes down and God says, okay, I'll give you a choice this morning. What if God stood up here, I'll give you a choice today. Here's, there's two choices. Choice number one, I'll make a contract with you. If you will give me 10% of everything you make from this day forward, I promise you, you'll never have financial hardship and you can, you can retire in comfort. I'll, I'll promise you that. I'm not going to promise you financial independence. I'm not saying you'll never have to work again. You'll never have a financial you know, struggle. And you'll retire comfortably. If you just give me 10%, so that's one option. Or I'll give you another choice. You know this uh, entitled and greedy and selfish and jealous and worrisome and anxious and angry heart that you have? If you want, I'll take that heart out and I'll give you my heart, a generous heart, a humble heart, a giving heart a sacrificial heart, a compassionate heart, a tender heart. So you can choose what do you want. Now, I'm here to tell you today that God does not give you that choice. God made the choice for you. God said, this here is inferior, where you just guarantee me 10% and I just guarantee that you'll always be okay. Compared to over here where, you know what, I'm going to give you a heart that doesn't have to give but wants to give. That's what we're talking about. And so we move on to the second half of this message, really. Oh, giving under the law puts God to an erroneous test, and I didn't even click the button there. But that's the reality. We don't need to test God today. He has been proven to be more than faithful. So let me jump ahead here. Two choices. You can give God 10%, or God can give you a new creation heart. 
That's the question this morning. That's the choice that God has made for us. You don't have to give God 10%. He's given you a new creation heart, a heart that wants to give, and we're going to see that today as we go forward. Into 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, and yes, it's two chapters, and we're just going to pull three little sections out here just to kind of uh, give you a taste here of, of what this giving looks like then under a new creation heart, okay? Now, the context here in, in, in these two chapters is the Christians living in Jerusalem are really struggling financially. They're really struggling financially. And, uh, and so Paul takes up an offering from some of the surrounding churches to help out these churches in Corinth. And uh, so what he does is, when he writes this letter to the Corinthians, this, this letter, he uses a couple of things. The example of the Macedonian churches, all while encouraging the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church had agreed at an earlier date, that they would help out, that they would take a collection and they would send money to these Christians that were struggling in, in Jerusalem. And so what he does is he says, hey, look at the Macedonian churches. Look what they did. Look how they gave. And now you, you said you'd give, so follow through and be a generous giver here in this, in this great need. So let's look at it here. Uh, chapter 8, just the first five verses. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Uh, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we uh, expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And let me just tell you here, the, the northern part of Greece was Macedonia, uh, and it's the churches of Macedonia that Paul references here. They're great examples of a new creation heart. Uh, these churches of Macedonia were in cities such as Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Corinth, on the other hand, is in southern Greece. It's in the region of Achaia. And so he wants these churches in northern Greece to encourage uh, and be an example to the, those in Corinth in southern Greece. And just so, here's the first thing we see about this, this heart that we have, this new creation heart. We have, watch this, we have generous hearts that want to give. We have generous hearts that want to give. We don't have to give, we want to give. That's the difference. That's what God has done today. And, and just, just think about this context here. These churches in Macedonia, God didn't even ask, or Paul didn't even ask them to give because they're really struggling. They're in poverty. No, they asked Paul if they could give. They begged him. We want, no, no, I know we're struggling. I know we're hurting. I know we're in, but we want to give. We want to give to those, we, we just want to give. Because that's the kind of heart they had. I love this. Listen to this phrase here. For in a, verse 2, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. I love that sentence and kind of the contradictory nature of it. Notice what it says there. Their extreme poverty overflowed into a wealth of generosity. Isn't that just cool? Their extreme poverty over here, they're really struggling, overflows into a wealth of generosity. Why? Well, that word overflowed. It reminds me of the verse we've looked at throughout this series, right? Remember this verse. Their giving overflowed from their heart. John chapter 7, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. We have the Holy Spirit in here. And we have this new creation heart, this generous heart. And they're giving just overflowed out of their heart. It just overflowed out of their heart. Notice what else he says here. I think this is cool. You want to understand their giving. He says, and this. You want to understand how they gave in poverty and this. Not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Do you you see the, the sense? They didn't just write a check. They gave themselves. What does that tell us about their giving? It tells us that our giving can reflect our heart. That what's in our heart can reflect our giving. They gave, they didn't just give like as a noble gesture. They didn't just give because their behavior had improved. They gave because Christ poured out of their hearts. Our giving can reflect our heart. In fact, I would say this, giving in the throes of deep poverty as these churches in Macedonia have, giving that way, honestly, I, I don't think we can do that in our own, but, but, it, but a, the heart of Christ can. That's the example Christ shows us in his giving, especially when he went to the cross. So we see this. We also see this, that giving in grace is an act of grace. And so just think about this. What does that mean? Well, we see this phrase a couple times throughout the passage, throughout these two chapters. He will talk about this idea of grace. Um, But but I I didn't put the scriptures there, but... uh, He says in verse 6, complete among you this act of grace. And in verse 7, but as you excel in everything, excel in this act of grace also. So he wants us to excel in our giving. We can learn with our new creation hearts to, to excel at being a giver. We can develop giving from this heart. But here's the reality. Grace giving is our generosity responding to God's generosity. God has been so generous to us. He has been so good to us. He has blessed us, especially in regards to all our spiritual blessings. And grace giving is simply our generosity, responding to God's generosity. The reality is, it's much like the grace, the grace approach to giving is much like the grace approach to forgiving. Why do we forgive people today? Because Christ forgave me of absolutely everything. He just poured his love and forgiveness into my life. And and the Bible says I should forgive like Christ did. I should just give in response to that. It's just responding to what God has already done for me. And then giving also in grace, this idea of generosity is our generosity given freely. We just give freely. Think about this. Back in the Garden of Eden, what did God do with Adam and Eve? He put them in the garden. He gave them a what? A free will. He wanted them to choose, right? And he's always wanted us to choose. He's given us a free will. He always wants us to choose him. He doesn't force us into any kind of relationship. And giving under grace is free will giving. He wants us to choose to give. Just to choose to be generous and just to choose to give to him. That's the reality. To give from the right tree, right? The tree of the spirit, not the tree of the flesh. Here again, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. We make a decision in our heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He goes on. This is a different translation. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully some other words that are used in different translations don't give out of regret or necessity or duty god wants us to give 
because we want to give, because that's the kind of heart he's given us, that we are just generous people. And we want to impact the lives of others positively in this world. One other piece of, of evidence here about this giving, uh, being joyful and, and, and finding the joy in our giving and giving because we want to, it has to do with that word uh, cheerful is, is where we get our word hilarious. Paul's in essence saying, God wants hilarious giving. What does that mean, hilarious giving? He just means he wants you to find that level of joy in your giving. It's just like when I tell you one of my great jokes and you just can't stop laughing, right? Like my dreams about all those horses, you probably saw that on Facebook. Hilarious giving, finding the joy in our giving. And God has given us a heart that can do just that, that can give freely and can give joyfully. Sometimes on the internet you might find something, somebody will sell something online, like a font, you know, the kind of lettering we use like here in the letter in, in the sermon, or or maybe a maybe it's a photographer, and, and they'll let you choose your own price. One dollar, five dollars, or zero dollars. God has kind of done that in grace today. He said, hey, I want you to decide in your heart what you're going to give. You decide what you're going to do, what your giving going to look like. And why does he do that? Because he has given you a heart that wants to give. He doesn't need to demand 10%. He knows you want to give. Okay, let's read on. Verse 9. Here's a second reason why giving under grace is so much better. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Verse 11, so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Here's the second thing we know about um, this reality of grace giving is that we have faithful hearts that want to follow through. We have faithful hearts that simply want to follow through. The Corinthian church had made a decision a year earlier and Paul's just saying, now just follow through. I know you want to follow through, so just follow through. Sometimes we have desires and we don't follow through on those desires. It's been my desire for the last three summers to go to Cedar Point. I haven't gone to Cedar Point for the last three summers. It's been my desire. I haven't followed through on that desire. The reality is, look what again it says here. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. So just follow through. And the reality is, giving is a desire put into action. Giving is a desire from our heart that's put into action. Now, why is this significant that we put it into action? Because I'm going to tell you the honest truth is our giving will oftentimes be uh, challenged. Yes, our giving, often our desire to give will be challenged. We'll have the desire to give and then we'll start hearing those voices in our head. We'll start hearing the flesh speak back to us, the old man thinking, the, the, the habits of our past the philosophies or distractions of this world, the outright lies and temptation of Satan. And, and we'll just hear these. And we'll hear, you ever hear any of these in, in regards to your giving? Have you ever heard these, these voices before? Are you sure you want to give that? Are you sure you can afford to give that much? If you give that, then you won't be able to do this. Sometimes our giving, I'll be honest, sometimes our giving is a sac, 
It's a sacrifice, it is. But it's worth it because there's a joy in sacrificial giving. Just ask Christ who went to the cross. And there was joy waiting, him on the other, waiting for him on the other side of the cross. There's a hilarious joy sometimes in our sacrificial giving. So our desire to give needs to be matched by our action. And how do we counter these, action, these arguments of the flesh? How do we counter them? One of the ways goes back to something I said a couple weeks ago. We have to remember our feelings are not always our desires. Right? Sometimes we just, I think we do this all the time. We have a feeling, we think that's a desire. No, I have feelings all the time and I act on my feelings and then I'm like, oh, I didn't want to do that. I really didn't want to do that. And so our feelings are not the same as our desires. And so we need to know that. The question we're faced with with our giving is will our giving be shaped by our desires or by our emotions? That's the reality. Think about some of the emotions that can affect our giving. Fear and jealousy and envy and anxiety and doubt and pride and greed and selfishness and discontentment and entitlement and all of these emotions come in. These are not our desires. Those are very unattractive emotions. And can I just tell you this morning, that is not your heart. I think most of us think if we feel something like that, well, my heart is jealous or my heart is envious or my heart is discontented or no. You know what's really going on? And, and, and God helped me see this a little clearer this week, but here's what's going on because what we're doing uh, at times is we are, we are thinking with our old heart. We're thinking with the heart we used to have before we came to Christ. We're thinking of, of that old corrupt heart. We aren't thinking with our new creation heart that is generous and compassionate and is trusting and secure and peaceful and grateful and sacrificial and humble and great grace-filled and is a giving heart that's the reality and so this is not a description of your heart it's a description of our feelings it's our description of our old heart and sometimes when we think we think well i've still got that old heart and i don't really want to give and the reality is we do and the other thing we can see here too to counter this is that giving requires trusting there is a sense where giving requires trusting we have to trust our obedient heart even when those emotional voices tell us otherwise we have to trust who god says we are in christ we have to trust that we have to trust that god is faithful one of the things in this passage we don't really get into it much today but we've 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 read over it that god supplies for us so we can be givers we have to trust that God's going to supply to me so I can be a giver. And so I can give joyfully and hilariously and find the deeper fulfillment that is attached to giving. Just like that opening story, those Africans, they came to church joyfully with their gifts, their chickens and their produce. And, and truthfully, if, you know, if Ken came into church some Sunday and brought a chicken for the offering, I think we'd find that hilarious, Right? Now, Dan wouldn't, when he counted up the offering, you might not find that hilarious, but you'd open up the box and there'd be a chicken. Or Melinda, she wouldn't like that either probably very much. And he even raises chickens, so how about that? But anyway, anyway, the hilarious side of giving. Look at this verse too, there's another verse here. Uh, I did not put it on the screen. Let me read it to you first. For if the readiness is there, verses 12 and 13, if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. So God's saying you don't have to give what you don't have. It's not like your giving is supposed to be a burden. But when you give in grace and when you give from your new creation, you'll find out that God will give and supply so you can give. And I would say this as a caveat. We do not have to give what we do not have but quite often, though, we have more than we think we need. 
You stop and you start looking at yourself compared to the rest of the world and you realize we are some of the richest people on the planet. That's the reality. Now, let me iterate something else. Okay, faithful hearts. We have faithful hearts that want to follow through. Let me add this though, that as a church, so giving by grace means receiving by grace, right? So if we're going to be a church that teaches giving by grace, we're a church that receives by grace. We receive by grace. And, um, and I, I'm intrigued today when you think of this issue of tithing in so many churches today. It is kind of like, I, I'm not saying this for everybody, but I think there are definitely churches that fit this bill that it's kind of like a manipulation on how to get people to give. They manipulate them with this whole idea of, well, you have to tithe. I mean, think about it. They could, just, just think if I stood up here and I said to you, you are robbing God. And you're like, I'm robbing God? You're robbing God because you're not giving the tithe. And you know what else? Your money is cursed. <laughs> you're like, oh, boy. I mean, talk about manipulating someone's emotions. I mean, there's the guilt. <gasps> I'm robbing God. And there's the fear. <gasps> My money is cursed. That does not fit 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Don't give out of obligation or compulsion or, you know, give cheerfully from your heart. And so giving by grace is receiving by grace. And I think it's been 10 years since we stopped taking an offering up and put a bucket in the back or a, ba a box in the basket, our joy box, our giving box. And we have never really ever struggled financially in this church, honestly. God is faithful. You teach giving by grace, you receive by grace. I recently heard a story of a pastor. So there's this pastor at this church. He's, he, 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 uh, I think he's retired now, but he preaches at his church sometimes. A grace church down south. Really great, really great preacher, great grace preacher. And uh, so there's a big Baptist church years ago that decided they wanted to be the pinnacle go-to church for grace teaching in the United States. And so they researched out and they found this guy's name and they called this guy up and said, hey, we want to be the go-to church in the United States for grace teaching. We're a big Baptist church. And, and so we've, we've heard you're the person that, to come lead us to do that. And he was intrigued and he said, I would have had a hard time leaving my church. But he went out and met with them and they meet and everything went fine. There was just one sticking point. He said, well, I got one problem. I cannot teach tithing. And they're like, oh, really? You don't teach tithing? Well, what do you teach at your church if you don't teach tithing? He says, well, we teach giving by grace from the heart. And they're like, really? Well, they, well how, do you, how do you meet your budget? How do you fund your church? He says, we trust God. Their response? Oh, we couldn't do that. We couldn't do that. Giving by grace is receiving by grace. Here's our one last perspective today on the positive side of giving by grace. Verse uh, chapter 9, now verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your 
righteousness. So basically, God will supply so you can be a giver. He will supply you in abundance so you can be a hilarious giver and you can find the joy in giving. Here's the third thing we see is that we have wise hearts that understand why we give. We have wise hearts that understand why we give. We have generous hearts that want to give. We have faithful hearts that want to follow through in our giving. And we have wise hearts that understand why we give, that we don't give because we have to. We don't give to earn God's favor or blessing, no. In fact, instead of giving to receive a blessing, we have learned that giving is the blessing. It really is. I know uh, this is what I've learned in my life, that giving is the blessing. That's, that's so, so powerfully true. We also, as the wise-hearted, understand that giving is an investment. We see wisdom in this text in the one who sows and reaps, the one who looks at his money and sees it not just in this world's economy, but who sees their money through God's economy. See, this is the challenge that we're all facing today, right? We live here on planet Earth, but you know what the Bible says? That we are what? We are citizens of heaven. That's where we're really from. We're citizens of heaven. And so we live on this earth, yet we're citizens of heaven. And we live on this earth, and we are engaged in the economy of earth. And at the same time, we can still invest in God's economy in heaven, in in the kingdom economy. Philippians 3.20, Paul wrote this to the Philippians. But our citizenship is in heaven from... And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, set your, minds not on things, uh, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so that's the challenge that we face while we're living here on earth to know that we're citizens above and we can invest in God's economy, which is above. Giving is a spiritual investment into God's economy. And we as wise-hearted people know that. We do. So here's the thing. For, for instance, so I have, a, I have a $50 bill here, right? And we can look at this and we can all think of what $50 can do for us. It can buy groceries for our family. It can put gas in our car, right? It can uh, pay, maybe pay a mobile phone bill, right? There's, what can we do with this $50? We can think of all kinds of things we can do. Take the family out to eat, Uh, whatever it might be. And yet the reality is we can invest this tangible material dollar bill into this unseen spiritual kingdom of God. And it it can cause us great fulfillment, hilarious joy, and um, accomplish great things for, for God. That's hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes to see the unseen reality of what our physical dollar bills can do for the Lord. And so we sometimes need to stop and just be reminded of that. We, as the wise-hearted, understand. Let me give you two examples here of this. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 6, two ways we can invest. Galatians 6, 6, and this is a verse I never used to like to read until God showed me how to frame it here. Galatians 6, 6, let the one who has taught the word share all good things <clears throat> with the one who teaches. Oh, okay, okay. Verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And, and so here's the reality. We're just about at that point. It's the new year and the new year is going to roll around, right? And we're going to have all these people that are going to go out and they're going to start getting on diets, right? And they're going to start getting gym memberships and they're going to start doing all they can to take care of their physical health. 
And, and of course, you know, we're, we're going to plan our vacations, right? So we can take care of our mental and our emotional health. And we're all worried about this. And the reality is every time you come and you put a little bit of money into the offering basket and support the church here, you're just investing in your spiritual health and in the spiritual health of your family. And I think you guys know that already. I have to tell you that. You understand that. And so there's that little verse he says there, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And that's what you're doing when you put the money in the offering plate. You're investing. You're, you're saying my spiritual health is incredibly important. Is incredibly, incredibly important. The other thing we think of investing, there's a couple of, of verses in here, just a, a subtle undertone in this passage to the gospel. And so making an investment in our spiritual health. But look at these two verses here. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Here's what he says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And he says this at the end of chapter 9. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And just a couple subtle shout-outs to the gospel there. And the reality is when we give, we're investing in the gospel. We're investing in the gospel that changes lives. Because we want people to hear the good news. We want people to have their lives transformed by the, the love of Christ. We want those people around us that annoy us and drive us nuts. We want them to have a new creation heart too. So they would be a little nicer to us maybe. No, that's just the reality though. We're just investing in the spread of the gospel. And even through our missions overseas the Barantis over there down in South America and the work they're doing. And we give and we support those that will spread the work of the gospel. We are wise-hearted people that understand why we give. Yes, we give because our money can be a spiritual investment into God's economy and not just the economy of this world. So what did we learn today? Think about that. Uh, sorry, I didn't click ahead on the thing again. Um, what did we learn today? Well, here's our key verse. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I could give you a little more, and there's another passage. We could have just read a couple of verses today to help you understand. New Testament describes our giving, you know, consistently and proportionally, and it gives us some other avenues we could look at as well. But the key thing is we need to decide in our heart cheerfully, freely, what we want to give. Uh, regarding giving, God doesn't want you to give Him 10%. He wants you to fully trust your new creation heart a hundred percent. And if you do that, <clears throat> you, you will be fine. You, 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 will, you, you will find the hilarious joy in giving. We learned that our spiritual life in Christ should impact how we view and handle our money. Certainly, it should do that. And giving under law versus grace is inferior giving. The giving under law minimizes our spiritual blessings in Christ, and giving under the law puts God to an erroneous test. He's already proven to be more than faithful. I don't have to test him. And so we understand that we have generous hearts that want to give. We have faithful hearts that want to follow through on our giving. And we have wise hearts that understand exactly why we give. Why we give. There are some questions you can work them out this week. Let me just challenge you this week as you go through your week. Just look for an opportunity this week. When out of the blue, you can just practice generosity from your heart that you can just find a way to just be a giving person. Maybe you'll find a simple way. Maybe it's buying a, a soda for somebody at work, uh, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, something simple, maybe something more grand that God will put in your path and just challenge your heart today and say, hey, why don't you practice being a giver? Practice being 
a giver. Thank you. You know, really, thank you for, for a church that supports the, the ministry here, has faithfully for years, and for God who is faithful, who comes alongside our giving and always meets our needs. It's an amazing thing. Uh, let me, I'll, I'll leave you with this. How about if I leave you with something positive today, just a positive, uh, kind of an uplifting story I read. Didn't know where this really fit into the message, but I'll share here at the end that the woman called up the Butterball Turkey hotline and she wanted to know about her Butterball Turkey. It had been in her freezer for 23 years and wanted to know, hey, is my Butterball Turkey any good after 23 years in the freezer? And they said, well, if your freezer was uh, zero degrees for all 23 years, yeah, it's probably okay to eat. They said, now I have to tell you, it probably won't taste the best. She goes, yeah, that's what I thought. I think I'll donate it to the church. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the hilarious joy that we can find in talking about giving. Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of these people here that have given to the church faithfully and have provided for this church to be healthy and, and to have an impact. And uh, God, thank you that you, yeah, you, you've just given us a heart that wants to give. And you're not saying, hey, you have to do this for me. You're saying, I've given you a heart that will just respond to the Holy Spirit and, uh, you know, this giving thing won't be a problem. Show us what you want us to do in the area of giving this week. If, if there's a way that we can just reach out to somebody else and we can just show that we have generous hearts that you've given us that want to give and, and show us the joy when we give. Show us the joy. Help, may we feel the joy in our giving. And uh, God, thank you. Bless everyone today as they go home. Bless their week. And Lord, as we look towards Thanksgiving, let me just add this on. As we look towards Thanksgiving, prepare our hearts to just realize all the things we have to be grateful for and, um, and, and bless us in those weeks leading up to Thanksgiving and on into Christmas. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.